Welcome to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 11:50 a.m., and we have a great show today. We're talking with Tom Ryan, who's the author of a book called Following Atticus, and it's his story of hiking 48 high peaks, actually more than that, with his little uh, miniature Schnauzer and uh, their friendship along the way. Um, before we get going with Tom, I'd like to acknowledge our sponsors. The Dog Show is brought to you in part by All the Best Pet Care. You can find them online at allthebestpetcare.com to see where all of their now 10 locations are around western Washington. They have a new location in North Ballard on Holman Road. So if you're in that area, lucky you. Check it out. And The Dog Show is also brought to you in part by The Natural Pet Pantry, Seattle's original raw and cooked food for dogs and cats. You can find them online at naturalpetpantry.com. If you aren't feeding your dog and cat natural pet pantry, you should be. And you can also find their wonderful food at all the best pet care locations. So two wonderful local companies that I adore and I'm so thrilled to be partnered with them. So uh, let's get going. We've got a lot to talk about with Tom. So we'll bring him on the show. Hi, Tom. Hi, Julie. Are we calling you? Are you in New Hampshire? Uh, we are. We're in the White Mountains, where we just got about 18 inches of snow today. Wow. Well, we um, was, you know, as I was reading your book, which I loved, by the way, um, you grew up in Medway, Massachusetts, which is like two towns over from where I grew up, which is called Medfield. I think Millis is in between the two towns. Is that right? And and Milford and Menden are on the other side. There's all those M's are, M's are in a row there. Yeah. And uh, and then you lived in um, Newburyport, Massachusetts, for years, and uh, my dad actually lived there for a couple years as well. And I've been to Newburyport too, so it was really fun to hear, especially all the stuff about that I had no idea about about uh, <laughs> Newburyport and the community and your paper, the Undertoad, and all that. It was really a neat uh, connection to have that um, as I was reading the book. So, um, so tell us a little bit about. Um, your background and your, um, you know, the the undertoad and kind of how all that started. And then, you know, you wrote this book about your dog Atticus and your uh, adventures with him hiking and kind of how you fell in love with the mountains and and uh, shared that with him and shared those adventures with him. But the first part of your book, you talk about your um, this newspaper that you that you owned and wrote. Um, that basically talked about the community of Newburyport. That was a very dynamic community. So tell us a little bit about that backstory and, and that you had a um, a dog for just a couple of years, is that right, before Atticus? That sort about of, a year and a half. Yeah. Yes. So you you um, started this newspaper when you moved to Newburyport called The Undertow. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I moved to town uh, because I was in love with a woman, mm-hmm. and um, it, that relationship did not work out, but I stayed because of another woman. It, uh, we had our first woman mayor in Newburyport. It was 1995, and it was a great uh, era of gentrification. The mm-hmm. old was coming in. The old was fighting to hold on, and the new was fighting to get footing, footing in town. And the town was split 50-50, and a woman uh, was our mayor. First time it was a two-year term, and she was running for re-election. And her opponent was a, a famous good old boy in the area who had been mayor for 10 straight years. And the only reason he was really running was because he wanted her out of office. Mm-hmm. She was an outsider. She was a woman. And worst of all to them, she was a lesbian. Uh, and I came in upon this time, and being Irish, uh, <laughs> an Irish Catholic background, I've never I've never avoided a fight. And I just <laughs> like to see, uh, <laughs> I like to see uh, even odds. And it seems like they were picking on her for all the wrong reasons. They weren't going after her for being a bad mayor. They're going after her for personal reasons. So I mm-hmm. jumped in the fray uh, after living in town for a whole three days. And uh, as a new writer, uh, led us to the editor of both papers, the weekly and the uh, daily, uh, I was credited with helping sway the election to get her reelected. Mm-hmm. Uh, a year after that, I started my own paper, and I didn't realize how much wonderful dirt there was in Newburyport. And so I started writing about it. Uh, there was great stuff. There was dirty stuff. 
to a new writer, it was all exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. And it had an impact. You talked about um, one day your garbage went missing and, you know, I mean, it's got to be kind of risky to, to write a newspaper about the town, you know, the really exposing, not just talking about stuff uh, like surface stuff, but really talking kind of about the drama. It probably doesn't sit well with a lot of people. No, uh, the, the people that sat well with most, with the masses, who had seen this thing go on for years and mm-hmm. years and years, business as usual, and the papers didn't cover it. Mm-hmm. And so when I uh, showed up, I started listening to their stories and writing them, and they were just, they were as a fascinating uh, sociological experiment. One of my friends would refer to it as, my tires were slashed many times, windshields smashed, wow. um, death threats, uh, my trash was taken, and ended up being the police who were going through it, seeing what they could find on me because I'd been writing about their misdeeds through the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty heady. Uh, I didn't know anything about writing a newspaper, so I looked at people like Mike Barnacle in Boston or Molly Ivins down in Texas or Carl Hyacinth in Florida and said, I'm going to do what they do. But the problem is when we read those columnists to a national columnist, oftentimes we may have heard about the people they're writing about, but we don't know them. Mm-hmm. But I was writing just as vehemently, just as stridently, just as comically about all these people. But the difference is you knew them, you worked with them, they were next door neighbor, they were right. sitting on the city council with you. So the paper was much more personal, so the response was much more personal, positive and negatively. Mm-hmm. And so you um, you were, uh, you had a dog, Maxwell G. Gillis, is that right? Your first... Maxwell Garrison Gillis, yep. that's right. And, uh, and he was a schnauzer, and... Uh, this now was he your first dog? Uh, first dog in years. I hadn't had a dog for years, and my landlord didn't allow one. Mm-hmm. And um, someone had contacted me from one of the city boards and said, "Please help us find this dog at home. Put an ad in your paper." And somehow or other, I typed, "I'll take your dog <laughs> instead." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he, he was on a wanted dog, and I ended up with Max, plain old Max. But uh, Max soon grew into Maxwell. Mm-hmm. And uh, since I was a muckraking journalist. Two of my predecessors were Bossy Gillis, a former mayor, who wrote a paper called The Asbestos, because it was too hot to handle, and William Lloyd Garrison, who wrote The Liberator and played a part in the Civil War. So uh, plain old Max became Maxwell Garrison Gillis, and for a year and a half, he was my constant sidekick. Mm-hmm. He went everywhere I went. Mm, what a life for a dog to have. So as- Yeah, for a neglected dog that was getting ready to be shipped up to a shelter, and most likely it would not have been rescued and probably would have had, met his demise. So yeah. We found each other at the right time. Yeah. And so after Max passed, you sought out another schnauzer. And uh, you have a this great relationship with the breeder that you talk about throughout the book. And especially at the beginning as you're trying to kind of negotiate your relationship and you and Atticus are um, sort of getting to know one another and, and uh, establishing yourselves with each other. There was one story about when you try to leave him home alone, and he was like, no, you need to take me. Yeah, Paige Foster was the breeder, uh, is the breeder, and she's this fascinating uh, Southern woman. Uh, with a, I mentioned Molly Ivan. She has that straight shoot-from-the-hip accent and sage, sage advice, but uh, she spent most of her few, first few months laughing at me, I think, this city boy who wasn't afraid to take on dirty cops and kept a baseball bat in the back seat of my car. And here I was being pushed around by a five- and six-month puppy. Yep. <laughs> Her advice in the beginning was to carry Atticus wherever you go mm-hmm. and uh, don't let anyone else hold him for the first month. That stretched into about two months because it was good for my broken heart over losing Max. Mm. And it worked so well between us. But when I decided one day I was going to leave him home and one time uh, he just decided that was not going to be the case. And uh, as you read in the book, he... Uh, he has his own way of rebelling, and like a lot of puppies will do, he uses uh, he used his poop. Yep. <laughs> and uh, as Paige would say with much gleeful laughter, you broke the contract. <laughs> He's letting you know that he doesn't like that. So mm-hmm. uh, you got you you have to work this up between yourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of kind of convincing him. I'll take you with take you with me when I can, but sometimes you have to stay home. Yeah, I think because of Paige, one of the wonderful things, I I don't know anything about raising a dog, and I'm definitely not an expert uh, by any means, but one of the things I loved Paige uh, teaching me was just treat him as you want to be treated. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Um, and that worked very well for us. Perhaps it worked more so well for us because I worked out of my own apartment and he was with me all the time. Or maybe it's, as Paige says in the book, uh, and references a couple of times throughout the story, he was the most unusual dog uh, she had ever bred. She mm. felt it from the very beginning. Uh, mm. More than a thousand puppies she'd bred, he was the one she wanted to keep. Hmm. And yet you got him. Yeah. See, you know, going on the book tour, Julie, um, people ask you all kinds of questions, and I keep finding out more things about my story from the questions they ask me. Uh-huh. Uh, and one of them is, what's your book about? And as you've read the book, as my editor, Cassie Jones, says, there's a lot of layers to the story. It's like an onion. You keep peeling and peeling. There's father and son, there's mountains, there's nature, there's man, there's dog, there's uh, city versus country, there's uh, transformation of one person. Uh but I like to think that at the core of our story is a bit of a theme of selflessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you read the story, you read about Paige and her unfortunate life at times. And she uh, was not the happiest of life, but she ended up giving up the one dog she never wanted to give up mm. to a man she never met uh, because she felt I needed him more than she did. Mm-hmm. And later that will play a part. Uh, Atticus will exhibit his own selflessness throughout the story mm-hmm. later on. Yeah. Well, it is. It's gonna. We're gonna take a quick break here in, in uh, just a few seconds. But it is such a great story. Like you said, there's so many aspects of it. Another thing too would be, um, like you mentioned, the you know nature and relationship between a, a person and his dog, and um, and also you talk a few times about, um, especially in the winter time, um, your sort of inner demons coming out and um, you know f- confronting that fear and. It's just there, there's a lot to it, and it's a great a great book, and um, we're going to talk more about the story. But let's take a quick break right now. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We're talking with Tom Ryan, who's the author of Following Atticus. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. For more than 25 years, All the Best Pet Care has been helping people choose the best foods, treats, and toys for their dogs and cats. They are a locally owned family business bringing about little miracles every day by following the Mother Nature model of nutrition. Stop by to meet their adoption cats, schedule an anesthesia-free dental cleaning, or bring your dog to the toy testing area. Visit their new store in Edmonds next to the PCC and their expanded Redmond store in the Whole Foods Plaza. To learn more, go to allthebestpetcare.com or follow them on Facebook. For home repair, remodel, and construction advice, ideas, and stories, tune into Constructing Whatever. With over 40 years of combined experience, hosts Tim, Lynn, and Anna talk about whatever, from important need-to-know topics, taking your questions, latest industry news, and a whole lot of personality. Start your weekend with us, Constructing Whatever, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Celebrating National Saxophone Week, Everything you wanted to know about sax, but were afraid to ask. Saturday at 10 a.m. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Connect and Anoptigest, we cover the world of animals. This week, November 11th, we're doing a special diet and nutrition show. Bob Vela from Canine Caviar joins us. Find out how the alkaline formula helps our dog friends. Also, learn why I think the quality and ingredient formula is the best I've ever seen. Also, a feline caviar with no grain, potato, or tapioca. We'll take your calls for questions, too. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 11. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior training and nutrition specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. This is Alternative Talk, 1150. Got it? Cool.
Welcome tonight. back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And we're back talking with Tom Ryan, who's the author of Following Atticus. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you. So Atticus is a miniature schnauzer, and he's currently nine and a half years old. And um, when you're writing about these adventures of, of how you took on this um, personal challenge uh, for both you and Atticus to climb all 48 of the over 4,000 foot peaks in New Hampshire in the White Mountains and that this was a you know brand new thing for you and, and your body and, and uh, that you had Atticus kind of to share this adventure with. Um, so the, I'm from New England and I, I grew up in Massachusetts. We spent a lot of time in New Hampshire as kids. Um, you know, you talk a lot about your dad in the book and kind of uh, his appreciation for the mountains. And I remember my dad having sort of fascinations with specific mountains especially. And we spent a lot of time up in the White Mountains. And uh, they're smaller. So, you know, the, we're in Seattle. The, the This show here is based in Seattle. Have you ever been out to the Northwest, Tom? No, we haven't. If you're a mountain man... It's it is gorgeous. Um, it's the the mountains. I mean, they're huge. They're they're much bigger. They're different than than uh, New England mountains. But something to appreciate, I think, about the White Mountains and especially Mount Washington is that there's some of the most severe weather on the planet, especially in Mount Washington. And I think you said until recently the highest winds ever recorded on the planet were on the top of Mount Washington. It was like 231 miles per hour or something like that? Yeah, correct. And the average the average conditions in winter are uh, 5 degrees with 45-mile-an-hour winds. Mm. Uh, so it, it can be severe. A lot of people come here to train to get ready to go climb the higher mountains in the world. Right, like Everest and, and right. those. Right. So they are smaller mountains, but they, uh, they're certainly... Um, Certainly mountains to respect. And you and Atticus first started climbing all 48 of the four, over 4,000-foot peaks together, and you did this in the summer, the first the first round. And you guys got a lot of, um, you talk a lot about how you don't, you and Atticus don't look like, um, you know, mountain climbers and and how you sort of got that reaction from people and especially people there was one story where somebody stopped you thinking, you know, telling you that Atticus was too small. Right. Uh, I always say to the audiences, uh, you may not know this by looking at us, but one of us is too big, the other one's too small. We're not your typical mountaineers. And we aren't. Uh, uh, you know, I have the double chin, the belly, and Atticus is not what you would consider your typical mountain dog. But luckily uh, for us, it's like starting a newspaper. In a small town, ignorance can be bliss. Mm-hmm. If you don't know your limitations, know, know what you can't do, uh, you just go by what feels right. Mm-hmm. We were, towards the end of our first summer, the first summer, as you talked about, we hiked all 48, 4,000 foot in 11 weeks. Mm. And towards the tail end of that, we were on our way up Mount Jefferson, which is the third highest peak. And we were going heading up a direct but somewhat steep trail. And someone stopped me on our way up there, and he said, you can't bring that little dog up there. And I said, well, why not? He said, he's too small. It's, it's not safe. He, he can't go up there. Mm-hmm. And he started lecturing, lecturing me, and poor Atticus sat and watched, as he always is, and listened, head back and forth like he's watching a tennis match. And I was respectful, but uh, finally the fellow said, have you, ever, have you even hiked a 4,000-foot peak yet? And I had admitted, no, we're new. We're new to this, but yeah, we've hiked a 4,000-foot. He said, well, how many have you done? And I said, well, we've done about 45 in the last... Uh, Ten weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that was enough to stop them. I, I think one of the things that people have to remember, uh, and I always, I love this, is, you know, limitations are something we put on ourselves. Atticus is not considered your typical mountain dog, but he loved the mountains. He loved being in them, and he showed an aptitude for handling them. Uh, I enjoyed being there. I uh, was safe in how I handled them. And so... We may not fit other people's expectations of what uh, a couple of hikers should look like, but it didn't stop us from going. And um, there was their hang-ups, not ours, more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And most people were, were were intrigued and thrilled to see people, a person and a dog who may not be your typical person achieving some things we were achieving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wrote, he's, he said, you're new to hiking, aren't you? Like he were, 
talking to a child. And yes. you're and you're like, "Yes, we started a couple months ago." And he says, "That's what I thought. I've been hiking for several years. I'm almost done with the 48. Your dog really is too small to hike." <laughs> Has he hiked a 40,000-footer yet? And you paused. This will be our 42nd 4,000-footer in the past 10 weeks. And then you say that the guy blushed and nodded and moved along. And then you said, if Atticus could have, I believe he would have given me a high five. <laughs> like, yep, don't judge me. We had me. a lot of those responses, yeah. especially that, that summer. And then it got even worse in the winter, as you might imagine. Oh, yeah. Uh, one, one dog had ever hiked all the 4,000 foot of the winter in New Hampshire at the time. It was a Newfoundland. Of course. 160-pound <laughs> Newfoundland. And uh, here with this middle-aged, out of, out of shape, um, uh, newspaper editor uh, with a paralyzing fear of heights mm-hmm. and a miniature schnauzer taking on the winter whites uh, trying to, to hike all 48 uh, in the same time same we did them in summer. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I think that it's a, I, you know, working with dogs in Seattle with, you know, training and behavior, a lot of what I look at is uh, are the dog's needs being met energetically because that's a lot of times why behavioral problems will come up excessive barking or anxiety or, you know, aggression. It's because they're pent up. And I think the mistake people make with little dogs is that they think they don't need exercise. And, you know, you've kind of got the op- the opposite end of that where you have had it. You guys were doing, you know, hikes practically every day, you know, climbing mountains. You, know, you did a ridiculous amount of climbs in a short period of time together. And that little dogs can be very hardy and very athletic and are totally capable and really love being out for hikes and to, you know, I think people don't maybe meet little dogs needs as much as they could when we talk about being outside and and really enjoying that aspect of being outside. Well, one of the things you talk about doing as a trainer and follow up your website is uh, dogs have personalities too. I mean, some person's going to want to run the Boston Marathon. Another person's going to want to shop. Both can be fulfilling for each person. Both can be fulfilling for the for the person. So some dogs might want to sit inside and be lap dogs. Other dogs might want to be more active. Um, activity is important for all all of them, I believe. But um, if Atticus didn't take to hiking the mountains, we never would have returned the first, the second time. Right. Uh, uh, we were just looking for something we could do together, mm-hmm. and he seemed to really enjoy it. So we continued going. And if there came a point where he didn't do it, enjoy it, we would we would have stopped. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I really appreciated throughout the book, how you talked about how you really listened to him. And especially in the winter time, there were a few times when he was like, nope, you know, you, you pulled up in your car, you got there. And he well, was one time, I think he got out of the car and was like, no way, man, too cold and got back in. And who knows why, but you're within like, about five seconds time. That's right. Yeah. And you're like, okay, we're not going. And then I think there was another time you had, it was like the third day in a row and and he was tired and you're like, okay. Like you said, you would never have forced him to do it if he, if you didn't feel like he really wanted to be there. And it was clear that he did for the most part, but that you did listen to him. And I think that that's something important that again, that a lot of people don't necessarily do with their dogs is really listen to them as individuals and kind of respect their wishes at times because they do have them. There's a controversy here. Uh, if you hike all the 48, 4,000 footers, the Appalachian Mountain Club awards you a, a patch and a scroll saying you finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, dogs are allowed to uh, fly for their uh, people with the dogs can, can apply for their dogs uh, patches and scrolls as well in the summer months, but they in the winter they won't do it. Only one dog had done in the winter, and then they decided it was too dangerous. Mm. And a lot of people who hike with dogs have talked to me because become somewhat prominent, saying, "Would you please?" fight for our rights to get a patch and a squirrel for our dog in the winter months. And I say, and I, I think I confuse them because I say, no. Because <laughs> um, a lot of the people I see, not not all of them, but a lot of people I see uh, force their dogs to do too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't pay attention to uh, their dog's needs. Uh, one man said he was going up one of our peaks. It was called Bond Cliff in the middle of winter. And the wind was howling and it was freezing, probably 10 below zero. And who knows what the windshield was. And he, his dog was cowering. It was a big dog. And he said he wouldn't go, so I had to kick him. Mm. He said, what would you have done in that situation? I said, I would have kicked you. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, so it's, uh, 
I think the most important thing when you do something like this that's out, in the, out of the ordinary and on the edge uh, with a dog you love, it's with a friend you love. Yeah. You, put, you put them in a position to succeed. You choose the right days, you choose the right path, and you pay attention to their needs. If they're thirsty, you're watching them. If they're cold, you're watching them. There was a couple of peaks. We were moving along fine, but Atticus was cold, and uh, I chose to turn back because I didn't want him shivering. So you have to pay attention to everything. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more with Tom Ryan, who's the author of Following Atticus. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. One evening as the sun went down and the jungle fire was burning. Specializing in spinal decompression, chiropractic, and physiotherapy, Dr. Justin Favreau and his team uses integrative, evidence-based treatments to provide his patients with comprehensive care that works with the body-as-a-whole connected system. Director of the Advanced Rehabilitation and Wellness Center, Dr. Favreau would love to find a solution for your symptoms of pain, numbness, and tingling, headaches, allergies, fatigue, and general malaise. Contact Dr. Favreau at 206-497-4962 or go to advancedrehabandwellness.com. That's advancedrehabandwellness.com. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair discusses issues that are important to you like good health and well-being, finding a new job and building your business, overcoming life's big challenges and making sense out of chaos, and living with passion and joy. Join us Mondays at noon Pacific for Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. See conversationslive.net for show schedule and guest information. Want a faster metabolism? Desperate for more energy throughout the day? Food is our most powerful medicine, and on Passionate Nutrition Radio, I'll answer your burning nutrition questions and offer real solutions for your family. On Passionate Nutrition Radio, you'll learn how to transform how you look and feel with the foods that you eat. My name is Jennifer Adler, and I'm a nutritionist, chef, and founder of Passionate Nutrition, a nutrition practice with six locations throughout the greater Puget Sound area. Join me on Passionate Nutrition Radio for a weekly serving of nutrition wisdom, Fridays at 4 p.m. Learn more at passionatenutrition.com. Camley Electric Incorporated is a full-service electrical contractor. From simple home repairs to full remodels, new construction, and small commercial projects, our qualified electricians do it all. We pride ourselves on our workmanship and professional standards, delivered with value in mind. Located in historic Ballard, Kemley Electric serves the greater Seattle metropolitan area. Licensed, bonded, and insured. Kemley Electric welcomes all inquiries about your electrical needs. Visit the website kemleyelectric.com. That's K-E-M-L-Y electric.com. Real people, real life, real radio. Really. Alternative Talk 1150. Beside the crystal fountains, so come with me, we'll go and see the big rock candy mountains. In the big rock candy mountains, there's a land... Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk 1150 AM. And we are back with Tom Ryan, who's the author of Following Atticus. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, and happy Thanksgiving, everyone. (laughs) So, so we're just before break. If you're just tuning in, um, Tom's written a book about his uh, hiking partnership with his dog Atticus, who is a miniature Schnauzer, and how they hiked uh, started with this endeavor to hike all 48 of the 4,000 above 4,000 foot peaks in um, the White Mountains in New England, and that sort of evolved into other other endeavors as well, which we'll talk about. Um, one of the themes that you've talked about that we were we were kind of touching on before break was how you really viewed, um, you really view your relationship and stress and emphasize that your relationship with Atticus is a friendship, that you don't view yourself as, a, as an owner. And you told a story right before break about um, someone who was sharing a story about his dog and that the dog wouldn't go on the hike and um, you know, didn't want to go, and so he kicked him or something like that? Yes, he was trying to get him to climb above tree line, and the dog was afraid and cowering because the winds were roaring and mm-hmm. it was slippery and bad conditions, and the fellow kicked him. And he said to me, uh, and, you know, in that situation, what would you have done? Mm-hmm. I said, it would have kicked you. Yeah, I know. I've just, like, ugh, stories like that, there's nothing that gets me amped up more. Um, but the point is that 
uh, and we were talking a bit earlier too about how it's important to listen to your dog and that, you know, there were times when you, when Atticus didn't, was very clearly not wanting to go on the hike and so you didn't go and you said, I was told by those who argued that dogs don't belong on the trails in winter, that dogs don't know the difference between a bad day and a good one, and that they'll go wherever their owners go. But I never had that problem. Atticus always had a say, just as he always had in our life together. And if he felt he didn't want to go on a hike, he was never forced to. Um, And that's just such a great thing to put out there for people to get and to really listen to their dog because the you know, sometimes, and you said, you know, potentially that could have kept you safe, just listening to Atticus's instinct. Right. I mean, by age, by, listen, you hike with a dog. Dogs may be made more, may be made more for nature than we are in some ways, mm-hmm. uh, but they're like children at times. They're our responsibility. Uh, we have to look out for their best interest. Mm-hmm. I, I, Atticus has saved in summer, of course. I, one summer day, we went to hike one of our easier 4,000 footers. It's Mount Hale. It's only a 4.4-mile round trip, and, mm-hmm. the, and about a third of the way into the trail, up the trail, there's a very small stream you can leap across, and Atticus and I have both leapt across it many times. We've climbed it probably 15, 16 times now. Mm-hmm. But one summer day we get there, it, was at, it had just finished raining, and we got there, and this stream was running high and was running loud, and I jumped across, and I was sort of surprised that he didn't, and he stopped on the other side, and he just sat down on a rock. Mm-hmm. So I jumped back to off to pick him up, and he laid down. His signal to me was, I don't want to go across. Mm -hmm. So we turned back and went home. Mm -hmm. The next day we came back. The stream was still running high. I jumped across. He didn't. Same thing. I went to pick him up. He laid down. So we went home. The third day I jumped across. He did too. So our dogs are just like friends. I always think about the Seinfeld episodes where they're at a party. They give each other a signal when they want to leave. Um, (laughs) Your dogs will give you the same signals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a friend. If you pay close enough attention and think of them as something other than an accessory, mm-hmm. uh, you're halfway there. Mm-hmm. And this whole thing, like man's best friend, and oh, you know, dogs are man's best friend, and you know, this is this phrase has been said for you know ages. Well, what about the other way around? You know, are we our dogs' best friends? Really, if you ask the dog, I think a lot of people assume yes, of course. You know. Oh, my dog loves me. Like, it's just an assumed thing. I pick the dog, and automatically the dog just loves me, and I don't have to do anything to to be a good friend to my dog other than just to receive the dog's love. I mean, it's sort of like this egocentric thing, and it. I think it's important to really ask, are we being our dog's best friends? If you asked your dog, you know, how many things a day does your dog get to look forward to? Or does your dog just kind of sit at home while you're at work, and then it's just there you know, so it's a really important point, I think. And as the relationship between people and dogs evolves, as it has over thousands and thousands of years, especially currently, it seems to be evolving rapidly. So important to kind of look at that perspective. Now, I want to talk about your uh, winter quest for a cure. Okay. Um, and so this was for uh, a friend of yours in Newburyport who you regularly visited with as you did your rounds for your newspaper, Vicki Pearson. So tell us about that. Uh, Vicki, uh, at the age of 50, did the uh, three-day cancer walk, 60 miles. And mm-hmm. It was the toughest thing she ever did. Um, as fate would have it, and it's weird twist, as fate can do, uh, a few months later, Vicki was diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. and she was terminal. And she asked uh, if Atticus and I would come see her in her hospital room, and I went in there to see her, and she said, Listen, I have a husband who's lovely, I have a son who's lovely, I have friends who are good, but I don't think I can tell them the story of my life. I want to tell you the story of my life. Mm. And so for the next week or so, Atticus and I visited her early morning before visiting hours. And he would sit on her bed, and she would feed him treats and pat his ears. And he would comfort her, and I would listen and take notes. And she told me the story of her life. And finally, she said, I want you to know why I'm telling you. And I said, because you want me to write an article? And she said, no, uh, because you and Atticus, are going to give my eulogy at the front of the church when I die. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, I, I guess family or friends or whoever decided for Vicki after she died decided it was improper for a controversial, muckraking newspaper editor to give the eulogy, so they asked a 
uh, more notable bank president to do it and disregarded her wishes. Mm. Uh, Atticus and I, in true Vicky fashion, skipped the funeral. We went walking on the beach, which she would have loved. Mm. She would have skipped her own funeral. She could have, too. But I felt I'd let my friend down, and I really struggled for months and months and mm. months. I was going to pay tribute to her because mm-hmm. she had uh, entrusted me with some things. And that's the one thing I could do for her. Mm-hmm. And one day we were driving up to the White Mountains and we're listening to the annual Jimmy Fund uh, radiothon that takes place every year. Uh, and in New England, the Jimmy Fund is a big thing, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, kids with cancer. Mm-hmm. And the Red Sox are tied in with it. And we were listening to this thing, and I was thinking about Vicki because she had run for school committee just before she died. Mm-hmm. Uh, she loved kids and wanted to help them. And I was driving up through the mountains and watching and listening to these great stories of the kids with cancer, some three years old, who mm-hmm. were talking about fighting cancer as if they were talking about going across the street to get an ice cream cone. Mm-hmm. And then other parents talking about losing a three-year-old kid and how heartbreaking both sides of the stories were, mm-hmm. if you're human at all. Mm-hmm. And right about, right about that time, driving north with tears running down my cheeks, I thought of my friend Vicky, who loved kids, and I saw the mountains, and I decided that Atticus and I would try to do something like Vicky had done mm-hmm. with their three-day cancer walk. We'd attempt to do what only one person had ever done. We'd attempt to hike each of the 48 peaks twice in the 90 days of winter, so 96 peaks in 90 days, mm-hmm. to raise money for the Jimmy Fund and Dana-Farber Cancer, cancer Institute mm-hmm. in, in her name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you wrote about Vicki. What made Vicki so precious was that, well, she was impressed by nature and flowers and dogs and pretty much everything that is natural. She wasn't impressed by people who were impressed with themselves. (laughs) Right. And, uh, yeah, Dana-Farber, my mom is an ovarian cancer survivor, and she was uh, spent some time in Dana-Farber for her infusions, chemo and stuff, and she used to go down to the... the, uh, children's floor she said anytime i ever started to feel sorry for myself i'd go down and go down to where the kids with cancer were and and it just gives you a different perspective it's really something else it's an extraordinary place and with a lot of extraordinary people on both sides uh, the healers and the ones who need healing Mm -hmm. they trade off back and forth so um you talk a lot in the book about or a few times throughout um um, times at night in the winter when you felt scared and how they were times where, um, you know, you talk about kind of facing your fears and sort of your inner demons um, kind of coming out and and uh, facing those fears and that when you face the fear and let it be, it tends to go away. Whereas if you run from it, it tends to feel bigger. Um, right. And you talk about the witch um, or the, um, you know, where you hear branches crackling and your imagination starts to go go, and how you just felt a couple times that you just sort of stopped and sat and, and stayed with the feeling and that then you felt better. And it was, of course, always nice to have Atticus with you when you're in the middle of the woods and it's dark and it's wintertime. Yeah, that's funny when a 20-pound dog is not afraid, but the 250-pound man is. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It helps to have that security blanket. Yeah. There was a, um, well, you wrote, um, it is any wonder why many of those who were thought to be prophets throughout history found their peace wandering the desert, climbing mountains, or out at sea. It's the natural world that heals the soul. And, um, you know, it's just great that, you had the awareness to go and and search that out for yourself and find that. And it's something that uh, we certainly disconnect from, I think, with how fast everything moves and how you can do five different things all at once from your phone and everything's faster, 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 faster. And it seems to be something that I see dogs teach us or remind us really how to be present and how to slow down when you're working with a dog or, you know, training a dog or working a dog through a behavioral problem, you have to be present to the dog and you have to know how to listen. And that requires you be slow down and you don't multitask, that you're just doing the one thing. And the dogs know. I mean, you can't fool the dog. You're either present or you're not, and they totally know. Yeah, it, it comes down to one thing, Julie. It's comes down to simplifying your life. Uh, you can do that with a dog. I mean, if you pay attention to the dog's rhythms, uh, then you start to fall in line with it. You can learn great things watching your dog do nothing. Mm-hmm. 
You wrote, uh, the deepest level of communication is not communication, but communion. It's the wordless. Um, and, you know, that's absolutely with dogs. Dogs aren't verbal. And we tend to just sort of blah, 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 blah at the dogs. Talk, 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 talk. And we're not aware about how we're holding our bodies or what we're doing, like what we're actually doing. Are our actions in line with what we're saying? And we just sort of get caught up in our heads and we forget about all the other ways that we also pick up on communication that are really powerful. You know, actions speak louder than words. So. No, there's so much that's said between the lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, the majority of communication is between the lines. And that quote you read, it comes from Thomas Merton, the monk. Uh, and it's just a beautiful thing. He was talking about people, but I, I, I'd like to think he was talking about any any two souls connecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same thing, as you know, because you work with dogs all the time and you work with people with dogs, uh, that that connection is true. Mm-hmm. And even more so because the words don't mean as much. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back talking more with Tom Ryan, who's the author of Following Atticus. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different proteins to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their Burien shop, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your home. Natural Pet Pantry will even work with your vet to custom blend a prescription diet for your pet's unique needs. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. Natural Pet Pantry. It just makes sense. Hi, I'm Pat Pauley, and I hope you listen to my brand new radio show, Get Active, at 1230 in the afternoon each Tuesday for ideas on how you can stay fit and active and connected to our community. Each week, we'll have a guest who knows in depth about some activity you may be interested in. We'll cover everything from working out, sports, sailing, skiing, to bridge, dancing, volunteering, you name it. Again, it's Get Active at 1230 in the afternoon each Tuesday right here at Alternative Talk 1150. Every generation needs a voice, and on Mondays at 2 p.m. here on Alternative Talk 1150, Lewis Howard's show, Head of the House, is the voice for the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Head of the House brings education, insight, and information that brings health and healing to the challenges of managing your home, relationships, and your career. Tune in once, and you will be hooked. That's Head of the House every Monday at 2 p.m. here on Alternative Talk 1150. Do you have an injury, old or new, that won't heal? Are you fighting a cold or illness you can't kick? Do you feel like you've tried everything and are still struggling to find wellness and balance in your physical health? Have you been unimpressed with acupuncture in the past? For over a decade, Robert Meduzia has been making a difference for people who thought they had exhausted their options. Don't settle for pain and illness. Call 425-828-6190. That's 425-828-6190. Again, 425-828-6190. The Acupuncture and Sports Clinic of Kirkland. Heal faster, play longer. Outside the box, outside the norm, inside your radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And we're back talking with Tom Ryan, who's the author of Following Atticus. And if you've missed any part of this interview or would like to hear any of our over 140 shows, uh, you can find us online at www.dogtalkshow.com. All of our shows are archived on the website. And we are also available as a free audio podcast on iTunes, so you can download any of our shows um, and take them with you, perhaps as you walk your dog. And uh, Eric and I, Eric, our booth engineer, and I always like to say, it's a great day to walk your dog, isn't it? Yeah, but today you want to bundle up. Today I'm choking that one out today, but I actually was out for pretty much most of the morning today in the weather. It's really just about having the proper clothing, I think. Sure. And maybe a dog jacket. Maybe little boots. Yeah. Well, Atticus had had little booties. So we're back talking with Tom Ryan, who's the author of Following Atticus. 
So, Tom, um, you had a great experience with um, with Cassie Jones, who's with William Morrow, a sub- subdivision of HarperCollins. Is that right? Right. Okay. Uh, she's my editor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's worked with a lot of great writers. And one of the things I was a little concerned with when I was interviewing with uh, the four different publishing houses that were bidding for the rights to produce our book, to publish our book, mm-hmm. was that they would be able to keep the integrity of uh, the quality of our life together. So mm-hmm. Atticus would not be, quote-unquote, pimped out. He would be treated with the same respect he's always been treated with. Mm-hmm. And during our first 40-minute interview, uh, I think 20 minutes of the conversation, I think Cassie and Seal Ballinger, the head of publicity, were a little bit surprised. I, I didn't care what the book looked like. I didn't care how many pictures we were going to have. When it was coming out, I just wanted to make sure that we put Atticus's needs first and foremost when we went on tour and anything having to do with marketing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they were taken back, but I also think they got a lesson in what the book was really really about before they read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, from the beginning, Cassie got it. Uh, in the book, we never used the word for myself. I never considered myself Atticus's owner. Mm-hmm. He's not my dog. Uh, it's it, They never used uh, Tom Ryan and his dog. It was Tom and Atticus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Ryan and former newspaper man, Atticus M. Finch, miniature schnauzer, mm-hmm. and if it's Ryan, it's Finch. And for all marketing, for all publicity, whenever I brought this up, they never flinched one bit. Matter of fact, they got it. And it got to the point where Cassie would correct other people at mm-hmm. this huge publishing house saying, well, no, no, it, it, it has to be Tom and Atticus. It can't be Tom and his dog. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that because it's an extension of the way we live our life. It might be weird to some people, uh, but more than anything, they're saying, well, if you're not his owner, what are you? And I said, well, can we just use the word friend? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's worked well for us, and I really applaud them. Uh, they they publish so many books a year, and they publish it for who knows how many years. Yeah. And here's this unknown author coming along and saying it's important to me that we don't uh, – that we hold the integrity of what we stand for between ourselves, our friendship. And they got it right away, and, they, and they've held it up, so I appreciate that. Mm. And that's how you can find Tom and Atticus online, is you can just Google Tom and Atticus. Um, you can also find them on Facebook, uh, following Atticus Book. They have a Facebook fan page. You can find them there as well. Um, but you guys have a blog. And um, so just search Tom and Atticus, and, uh, and that'll bring you to them. And I will also post, there's also a, um, a really nice video trailer for the book that you can find on YouTube. Um, and I'll also post a link to that on the Dog Talk Show homepage, which is dogtalkshow.com. Now, we have, before we run out of time here, uh, we have two books um, to give away. Thank you so much for providing those. So rather than having you call in to win these books, I'm going to do what I did a couple weeks ago. And have so that our our uh, podcast listeners can participate as well. I'm going to ask you if you would like a chance to win a free copy of Following Atticus by Tom Ryan. You can email me, and I'm going to give it a week. I'll have the episode um, online uh, so you can listen online this evening. Um, but just email me host at dogtalkshow.com. And uh, just say that you'd like uh, like to be entered to win a copy of the book, Following Atticus. And in a week, I will uh, put all of the email addresses in a hat or something to that effect. And I'll pick a couple winners. I've got two books. It's an excellent book. Um, you know, this the story about your relationship with your dog, your personal story is is very, very interesting. Um, your story about your relationship with your dad and about your, you know, your experiences on all your hikes. And it's just a wonderful book. I love, uh, one aspect of this radio show that I love are the books that I get to read as a result of this and the people I get to talk to. So thank you. It's called following Atticus and you can find them online. Again, if you just Google Tom and Atticus, um, that'll bring you right to them. And uh, also check out that YouTube trailer. That was a, um, a cool video as well to kind of get to see the man and dog in action. Um, so let's see. You, so you're raising money for uh, your winter quest for a cure by hiking all of the peaks twice in the winter in like 90 days or something, 96 hikes in 90 days. Um, 
and your intense stories about uh, being in the being in the woods and and hiking, especially in the winter. You had this one story that where you um, came across somebody because you sort of became you and Atticus or Atticus especially sort of became famous after right. you know all of the posting on the various local uh, community websites, the hiking websites and stuff like that, and with your fundraiser, and so you began to be recognizable, especially Atticus. And there was one time that you told a guy that it wasn't you and Atticus. No. <laughs> I wasn't ready to give up. We, we, in Newburyport, everyone knew us, and we were a big fish in a very small fish tank. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great to find anonymity when we went to the mountains. Mm. And I found it slipping away, and this fellow was kind of, he was enthusiastic, but he was sort of, he came at a time, sort of jumped out of the woods and caught me off guard. And mm. I just, I wanted to hold on to that peacefulness and that anonymity one more minute. Yeah. Interrupted you in your hike. And he was very enthusiastic. I can't believe it. My friends are going to die. And had his camera out and all this stuff. And you're like, no, this is sparky. <laughs> <laughs> After, after the, the, book, the week after the book came out, uh, someone was driving around here in Jackson, and the woman pulled over the car full of older people, and they, they said, are you Tom and Atticus? And I went to hesitate, and she said, I know you're not Mike and Sparky. <laughs> I just read the book, and Ooh. I was like, damn, I have to come yeah. up with a new name. Can't do that. <laughs> do you live in Jackson? Uh, we do. Oh, man. That's so weird. We had a house in Jackson on Black Mountain. Oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're probably about two miles from there. Yeah, and uh, Atatash and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, the Alpine Slide. That's funny. No, we're, we're, we're blessed to live where we do, yeah. uh, not just in the mountains, but also in Jackson. We've yeah. been embraced very well. And we we spoke at a local church uh, recently uh, in North Conway, well, just last week, last Thursday, with 300 people. And mm-hmm. it was just the community has really embraced our story. So well, I encourage you to take your story to the Pacific Northwest because we are mountain lovers out here and uh, would love to meet you in person if you're ever in the area. Well, that's why we're giving Cassie Jones a plug. So our editor can now go talk to publicity to get us out there, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, well, Tom, it's been wonderful to talk to you today. Thanks so much for your t- for, for thank you to you and Atticus for your time today, because I am sure Atticus is still right with you. His head is on my lap. He was yeah. on the snow today, so he's comfortable. Well, I hope he enjoyed the interview as well. And um, again, this book is called Following Atticus. Uh, I'm assuming Amazon. Uh, Everybody. Yep. Wherever I find books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, or where we do most of our shopping, or all, all our book shopping, independent bookstores. Right. Uh, Following Atticus by Tom Ryan. It's it's a wonderful read. Um, a great story, a great adventure, and um, and you can find them online again. Uh, just Google Tom and Atticus, and that will get you to them. And you can also find them on Facebook. You can also find us on Facebook as well. If you just search for the Dog Talk Show, you can become a fan of our Facebook page and be a part of the conversation in between our live shows every Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. And again, if you've missed any part of this interview or any of our past shows, you can find us online. Uh, on iTunes, free audio podcast, and at dogtalkshow.com. Thanks for listening.